Coach, thanks for joining me. I'm head coach Matt Dennis, and you're listening to the Coaching Lab Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about tryouts. We're going to look at everything from how to organize the tryout to how do we cut the players that we decide not to keep and everything in between. So I think you're really going to enjoy this. Before we get started, I want to encourage you to go over to CoachMattDennis.com and check out the Coaching Lab. It's got all the resources you need to run a team and a program successfully, and I hope that you'll take a look inside and see what it's all about. I'd love to connect with you there. The last thing I want to mention to you is if you enjoy this podcast, if you would give us a review, give us a five-star rating, I'd greatly appreciate it. Uh, anything less than a five-star, well, I guess you can just hold on to that until next time. Hopefully, we'll get a five-star then. So, Coach, let's get started and talk about tryouts. Welcome to the Coaching Lab Podcast, where basketball coaches build more success in less time by increasing their ability to teach, lead, and coach the players on their team and in their program. Today's topic of tryouts stems from a conversation I had with one of my Coaching Lab members. He's taking over a varsity program for the first time, and he's wondering how long should tryouts be? What exactly should we be doing in the tryouts? How do I make cuts? And all those kind of specific, detailed things that you want to know before you go in to that first day of tryouts. So I want to give you kind of some tips and tricks and guidelines, really, of how you can set up your tryouts and get the absolute most out of them. So you're selecting you know, the best players possible for your team. So what we're going to start with are four key things that I believe you have to have in order to have good tryouts. The first one is going to be you got to be organized. You have to have a practice plan in place, something that says this is what we're going to do, how long we're going to do it, and this is when we move on to the next thing. And I don't want to give you the specific drills you have to do because every team and program focuses in a little different way on how they play defense and offense and what skills you believe are the most important. But whatever it is you believe is the most important, you need to make sure that it's down on paper so that you don't spend too much time on one thing, too little time on another thing, and you're using your time the best way possible. So that could be everything from the drills you want to use to the teams you're going to have. If you know the players ahead of time who will be in your tryouts, position them in a on teams before you ever step in the gym. They don't have to be fair and equal. They just have to be set up so that your drills can run smoothly. Now, on the bottom of my practice plans, I usually have um, two-player groups, three-player groups, and then I usually skip the five-player group. Sometimes there'll be four players in there as well, depending on the drill. But if I know the kids who are going to be there, then I go ahead and put everybody with partners. And if we're going to do three-on-three work, I make the three-on-three teams. If we're doing four-on-four work, I would make those. So everybody knows, and I can just rattle them off and put them at a hoop right away. Uh, Makes things a lot easier on me. Now, if you don't know who's in your tryouts, I would do this at the beginning of practice. Line them up and number them off. One, two, three, four, five, six. We've got six hoops. We're going to go one through six, and then get the next group. One, two, three, four, five, six. And okay, all the ones are over here. All the twos are over there. And they know what their number is. When you go to do games of any kind, okay, my ones, you guys are I need to group over here. My twos are over here. Uh, we're going to do three on three. So then you can split them up into maybe a smaller group, depending on how many kids are there. But whether you have one more kid than what you're going to keep on the team, or you've got 20 more kids who show up to tryouts, you need to make sure that you've got a plan in place 
so that you're not wasting time trying to make teams or trying to figure things out on the fly. Have it as prepared and detailed as you can. Uh, know how many hoops that you have. Know how many balls you're going to have. Uh, know if you're going to have your assistant coach there. You're going to have a manager there. Make sure that you have all those things in place so that you can quickly assign jobs and responsibilities uh, as practice goes. If you have a pre-practice meeting, let your assistants know or your manager know, this is what we're going to be doing. This is what I need you to do for it. And it doesn't have to take long. You can do a pre-practice meeting in as little as five minutes sometimes. Uh, if On the first day, maybe it's a little bit longer. Maybe you want to meet for half an hour so you can really focus in and get your assistants' opinions or tell them some detailed instructions. But make sure you've got things down and you're ready to go and you're organized. So if you've only got 90 minutes of practice time, you need to use all 90 minutes of it the best that you can. If you got two hours, use those two hours the best that you can. It's really not a lot of time when we're trying to make decisions about who's going to be on the team and who isn't, that kind of thing. The second thing is make things measurable. Coach, I want to take a quick time out to say thank you once again for listening to the Coaching Lab podcast. If you haven't been over to the Coaching Lab at CoachMattDennis.com, I encourage you to go check it out. You'll find everything you need to make yourself a better coach, as well as to lead your team and your program to more success in less time. Now let's get back to the episode. When kids are going through shooting drills, when they're doing dribbling drills, make it timed. Put time up on the clock or who gets to the, a certain number of makes first. So we're going to go till 20 makes. Who's the first player done? Who's the second player, the third player, the fourth player? And let them kind of finish up so you know who your top five or six shooters are. So make sure that it's measurable. It can be makes, can be seconds. If you're measuring turnovers, if you're measuring uh, back tips, if you're measuring rebounds, whatever it is, make it measurable with either the time, the score, or keeping track of how many they, they got while they were in the game. That sort of thing, a stat that you can keep. That's going to help you as we go to make those decisions and we tell those kids who didn't make the team why they didn't, but it's also going to help us when we tell the kids, hey, you made it, but these are areas that you need to work on. And you can't measure everything at once. That's one thing I want to make sure you know. Don't try to measure everything a player does, but if you're focusing on shooting, measure shooting. If you've got a team drill and the team has to make 60 shots in four minutes, then that is the goal that you need to set for them. If they don't make it, then you've got a baseline. All right, we only made it to 55 So because our conditioning isn't good enough. So we need to work on that. That's something you talk to your players about, continuing to push themselves. But if you just tell them we're going to shoot for five minutes and we don't record anything, they don't think it's important. They aren't thinking that something really they have to pay attention to. You need that data as much as you can so that you can make good decisions not only in tryouts but as the season goes along. One thing we like to do at dribbling, especially in the beginning, is we want to get our conditioning in, but I don't want the guys to have to run just line drills. So we do our dribbling going up and down the floor, and we see how many lengths of the floor they can make. So if we're working on, let's say, our weekend dribbling, We'll put a minute on the clock, and I want them to go up and down the floor as many times as they possibly can. Get a ball in their hands, they're getting their conditioning in, and I want to see who's in the best shape. That tells me a lot about what players have done and what we need to work on to make sure that we're in game shape. But typically in a minute, I get 10 to 10 and a half lengths of the court by our top one or two kids. And that's a, that's a benchmark, a baseline that we go from to see, all right, if you're getting 10 now, what are we getting in three weeks? What are we getting in six weeks, in nine weeks? Are we at least keeping that? Or is our baseline, has it gone down? 
Are we wearing the kids out? They're only getting to nine, nine and a half, or are they increasing, which is what I want them to do. They're getting to 12 lengths, 11 and a half lengths on a really good day. So that's something that's measurable that I'm going to keep throughout the entire season, and I get to work on the dribbling at the same time. So we might do two-ball dribbling. Uh, we may do some sort of partner dribbling. Whatever it is, we're giving them a time. We're measuring it. We're keeping track of it. And then we'll use that data as we go throughout tryouts and throughout the season. The third thing is you want it to be competitive. Players thrive off competition. They'll push themselves when they're competing with each other. They'll get themselves in shape because of the competition. They'll have fun because there's competition. So it doesn't have to be a cutthroat way of making one person feel bad and one person feel good, but it is a way of getting players to make sure they're playing hard and getting themselves in the best condition possible. Uh, I like to rotate players so they're not always playing against the same group or against the same player in every competition. That goes back to being organized. If I know I have six groups of three and we're doing a three-on-three -three drill, I rotate these, those players. And okay. One team moved to the right, okay, then we're going to play it again, okay? That same team, you're going to move to the right again. So that one team continues moving. So if we had six hoops with, with players at them, they'd constantly be rotating through all six of those hoops playing against somebody or doing something different depending on the drill that we we're using. So making sure that it's competitive. Small-sided games are great for this. Shooting drills are great for this. Uh, if you're going to go three-on-three, four-on-four, or five-on-five, five, all of that invites competition. Free-throw shooting, um, all of that stuff are things that you can have a first, second, third place in. Um, now, we do things, if you've heard any of the other podcasts, you probably heard me talk about our winners run. Winners run because the winners are the ones who are on the court the most often. If you find guys or girls that constantly their team seems to find a way to win, they seem to be on top of every drill, then those players are the ones you want on the court. So we have really sold it to our program that if you're winning, you need to be in the best shape possible. The other players who don't win, you're clapping, you're cheering, um, and because that's the role that you have to serve on the bench. Uh, not everybody wins every single time, so some players are in that role of having to run, and sometimes it's a victory lap, other times it's a down and back. We switch that up. Uh, but if you're in the, not in that top group or in the top, say, 25% in that drill, then you're going to be clapping and cheering and you know getting your players to, to really buy into it. Now, I explained this to a volleyball coach the other day, my theory on that, and they tried it, and they came back and said, I couldn't believe how hard the kids played. I couldn't believe how fast they got to things and the competitiveness. I mean, there were there were girls who were just like lit up, ready to go, like their team was not going to lose. And they were just so focused on what we were working on. And while you can't use it in every single thing you do, it is amazing when you will go and challenge your best players to win, even though they know they're the ones who are going to be running. They go out and they work as hard as possible. And that's just a win-win because they're going to work that hard in games and that's going to make the competition really have to try to keep up and they're not going to be able to do it for an entire game. So that's why. Now, the kids who lose, they're, they are kids who sometimes won't, won't ever play or won't step on the court very often, but they're going to be in the best shape because the losers always run. Why do you want the kids who are sitting on the end of your bench to be in the best shape? It doesn't make any sense. So I'll hop off that tangent real quick, but that's one way that we kind of change things, flip the script and make it a little different. We want them to compete in, in everything that they do. Uh, the fourth thing is use time optimally. 
We talked about this with getting your players in groups, but that can look uh, can be different for uh, a lot in a lot of different ways. So when we use our time optimally, that's everything from knowing how many balls I'm going to have, knowing how many hoops are available to me, how long can I have the gym, uh, making sure that players know the expectation is you listen when the coach is talking, when it's time to go to get to a hoop or to perform, we get there quickly. We're not walking, we're jogging. And if you set that expectation early, that will carry over and, and be carried throughout the season. If you don't, it's hard to rein the guys or the girls back into it. So one thing I like to do is I'll say, all right, we're going to do this shooting drill. I need my threes at this hoop, my fours at this hoop. All right, let's go. When they all start walking, you can encourage them with having a little louder voice, or you can get them on the line and have them run a, run a line drill and say, look, when we get there, we don't have time to mess around. We need to get there. So after I've got in their attention, now when I say let's go, if I see they're not walking or if they're not getting there fast enough, I start counting down five, four, three, and they'll get there extremely quick. Uh, the next thing is if I, they've got to get a ball, say so they don't have a ball with them, they need to go to the ball rack, and then they need to get to the hoop. I'll give them a countdown of 10. So 10, 9, 8, 7. And it's amazing how quickly they'll get organized and they'll get themselves a ball. They'll get their partner. They'll get to a hoop and they're ready to go. So just an easy way of making sure that we're using our time efficiently. Because if they walked everything, you're going to be wasting minutes because they're going to be lackadaisical in everything that they do. It doesn't have to be like a drill sergeant. But once you get their attention, they get there and they know that we need to be focused, ready to go, and paying attention to the details that coach has given us. Because if we aren't, then you know we're going to have a consequence for that. And consequences are okay as long as it's making it, the players perform better. If we're not making our players better because of it, then those consequences sometimes can go too far. So I don't make those uh, consequences real harsh. And just make it enough to make a point that we need to make sure we're we're getting there quickly. So those are the four areas that I think you have to have in order to have good tryouts to make sure that we're getting the most out of it. The next part of that is what are we looking at? What are we looking for when we're holding tryouts? And there's some key things here that that I think you can take away because basketball players, we need the skill. That they have. We also need the athleticism that they bring. We need their basketball IQ to understand what that is for each player the best we can. And then finally, we need to know what kind of teammate they're going to be. So those four things all go into making sure we have the right people on our team. Do they have the skill? Do they have the athleticism? Do they have the IQ? And are they a good teammate? If we can find all four of those, then we know we're going to make a good decision. So first is Having the, and depending on your level, this will change a little bit. If you're a middle school coach, a ninth grade coach, a varsity coach, uh, but you know, if you're going to break it down where they're doing the real basic kind of what I call rope memorization skills, they're dribbling in place, you know, they're doing the pistol peat drills, uh, that kind of stuff, there's nothing wrong with those. But at each level, there's a certain amount of time to spend doing those. If you're just doing a spot shooting where they're just getting a lot of shots up from one spot, because they're at a younger level, that's great. And you spend more time there. But as you get to the higher levels, the JV and the varsity level, that time needs to be shortened a little bit because the game is not played where you're standing in one spot shooting. It's a dynamic game that allows for movement, allows for decisions, allows for shooting under pressure. So we need to make things look like the game. 
So every level is going to look a little different, but I want to give you kind of the breakdown, the sequence or the scaffolding of each thing. So if we're looking at our skill, it has to be, can they perform the skill first? Second is, can they perform the skill with speed? The third thing is, can they perform the skill against competition? And then lastly, can they perform the skill while making decisions? So how do you do all of those? As an example, that would be, we're going to do stationary dribbling drills. Then we're going to do that dribbling drill with an amount of time. We're going to give them a goal and we're going to put some pressure on them with time. Then we're going to take that dribbling drill and we're going to add it into a competition. So it might be a one-on-one -on -one competition. That's how we're going to start our one-on-ones. Or it may be um, some sort of time trial where we're going to see how fast they can do it and give them kind of a few variations uh, to perform you know, as they're doing the drill. And then the last way is can they do it with decisions? And that's where you put them in the small-sided games of having a defender in front of them, making them make a read and a pass, making them make a dribble move, and having to know where their, other, their teammate is. There's lots of different drills you could do, but in that sequence, we can see the, the very basic level of skill they have all the way to the highest level of skill, which involves doing it while making decisions. The same with athleticism. We can have them perform to see how athletic they are. Things like um, a timed sprint or doing a T-test or seeing how high they can jump on a vertical jump. All of those things can be a baseline for, hey, man, this kid is athletic. But then it goes to, can they do that while communicating? Because if we're thinking defensively or getting down the floor fast, they've got to communicate with each other, with their eyes, with their mouth, whatever way it is that they let somebody know with their hands, can they perform that athletic movement while communicating? The second is having athleticism that has purpose. So can we force a, a player to the baseline on defense? Or can we stay in front of a player uh, so they don't get around us with the ball? Can we box out? Can we get low and box out? All of those things will require some athleticism and some strength, really, when we're talking about boxing out. Um, and we want to see how they do with that. And then the last thing is, can they perform that athleticism with decisions? So. If we're looking at the defensive end of things, it, the getting down in a stance and moving is the athleticism. Athleticism with communication is doing that based upon the style of defense you play and whatever you want them to say while they're in the defensive stance. Then it's with purpose. Can you do it with three, four, five players on the court at a time and still have your responsibilities and your communication and move quickly? And then lastly, can we do it with decisions? Well, that's when the offense is moving. That's when players are not standing still anymore. And it's not just about, okay, I can do this in a very controlled environment. It has to be about, can I do this when in a game-like situation? So that would be uh, athleticism. So once we have those things, the intangibles are the things that can be a little bit harder to see sometimes. What's the basketball player's IQ? And then are they a good teammate? Now, those you can certainly find that, but you have to be looking for those. Good teammates show up when times get tough. Good teammates show up in communication. Good teammates show up in how hard they work, but it's not just how hard they work. It's how hard they get their teammates to work. So all of those things together make a good teammate. Same with our basketball IQ. You can be a great dribbler and a great shooter, but if you don't know what a good shot is, you don't know when to get rid of the ball when you're double teamed, 
then that makes it your basketball IQ may not be where it is. It doesn't mean the player won't make the team, but it does mean that their role may be limited because you've got to have players who understand the game and have a good basketball IQ. Now that can certainly grow over time, but depending the level that you're at, you're going to choose those players that have the best basketball IQ and can perform the skill and the athleticism the best. So when you mix it all together, that's when we kind of have a complete player. Now, moving on, we've gone through our tryouts. How do we set up when we cut players? And what do we do if we have seniors on our team? And I'm just going to offer you a few thoughts on that as we kind of wrap things up here. One thing that I've done for several years, going back to when I was coaching in college, was I'd make tryouts be a certain number of days. So we want three days of tryouts. And then I'd say, a cut can be made on any given day. So Monday, we can cut players. On Tuesday, we can cut. On Wednesday, the team will be decided. Now, a lot of years, by day two, I've cut everyone that needs to be cut. Okay, we've got our team going into the day three. But every once in a while, there's a player or two that they're, they're just real close in their ability, they're real close in their attitude, and you just, do I keep one of them, both of them? You know, what do I wanna do here? And so that day three gives you just a little extra time to make that right decision. And some coaches don't have as big of a, a problem with it. For me, when I make cuts, it is the worst day of the season. I mean, I even put that up against if you lose in the in the final tournament game uh, and everybody's heart's broken. Like, you know that it's a, it could happen, and as a team, you work through it. But when you cut a player, they're kind of on an island, and you can just see the hurt in them. And that to me, it hurts me. So I know some of you out there can understand what that feels like, but I, I actually loathe cutting players, and, but I know it's something we have to do. In order to have a good team, you have to do it. So when we make those cuts, I'm always aware of it, and I, I like that extra day just in case I need it. But if you know that players won't make it after day one, calling them into the office, uh, and talking to them and letting them know that that's you know it's not going to work out, I think is appropriate because you know that they don't have the athleticism or they don't have the skill, the two things we're looking at the most right away. The second day, now we've we've kind of got some of the players out that don't have the athleticism and skill and can't compete at the high enough level. So the second day, now we're going to go ahead and, and look a little bit deeper at the decision-making, at the basketball IQ, and how they compete, what type of teammate they are. So we're getting a second day to see it. And again, if you know by the end of the second day, letting that player know I think is appropriate. And then you have day three. Now, one thing that I have done in the past that I just don't like is holding on to everybody until day three. I think that leads coaches sometimes to posting that list. And I'm not a big list poster. I don't want to cut a kid by posting a list. I want to talk to each kid briefly, and I want to let them know this is why I made the decision. This goes all the way back to the beginning when we talked about being organized. I have two sheets that I like to keep on my clipboard with me. One is a list of all the names that have a bunch of columns, and it allows me to make notes of players, how they dribble, how they shoot, how they pass, what their attitude was like. And I can, I can jot things down for kids as I see them. I want, I'm not going to keep everything but I can jot it down. If we're shooting free throws, I can keep track of who made the most. If we're keeping track of who did the most um, 
down and backs in our dribbling drill. I can keep track of that and I have something measurable. So some things I keep track of for everybody. Other things are just things I notice in practice and I want to keep a note of. Now players will then, I'll transfer that onto an individual sheet. So when I call a player in, I let them know exactly what it is that, that I saw. I let them know why I made the decision that I did. And if we're, if we're bringing players in on the first day, I have some of those sheets available. I can write down some stuff real quick, transfer it from my sheet with everybody's stuff on it to an individual player sheet and give it to them. If it happens to be a younger player, I can tell them what they need to work on some areas that they need to, to focus on to get better for next year. Uh, if it's a player that is an, an older player, a senior or something, then I usually give them the sheet and let them know this is why I made the decision. I think that gives them kind of a concrete, um, there's a concrete answer. Now, they don't keep the sheet. They usually throw it away. That's fine. But they know why I made the decision. And it wasn't an opinion of mine that, well, you know, you don't, you didn't, you know, work out because I didn't like you or it didn't work out because you did something wrong. No, these are some measurable things that we had in place. This is what I saw. So it's a mixture of facts with that anecdotal opinion kind of data. And that's what I give to them on that sheet. So if you break it up, having a cut Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, if it's three days long, what you can do is you get a chance to not have to meet with so many kids at once. If you save it all till Wednesday and you know there's 20 kids there, you could be there forever. I mean, it seems like you're there in the wee hours of the night making cuts. Um, you don't want to do that. So the, the other thing is when you have seniors. So if you're a varsity level coach and you have a senior on your team, uh, what do you do with them? Now, if, if I know that that senior has put in the time and been part of the program, and this isn't like the first year they, they've tried to come out for the team, uh, it's a little bit different. If it's a player who's you know, not been part of the program for a couple of years, decided not to try out last year and they're a senior, um, then a lot of times it's, it's easier to make that decision. But if it's a player who's been in the program and they played last year, but they just don't have what it takes maybe to help the team as a senior, then a lot of times that's a, it's more difficult. And what I'll do is if they're a player who's like a 12th man or 11th man, I go in and I talk to them about what their role is going to be on the team. And I ask them to go home, talk to your parents about it. Here's what I saw. Here's my sheet. You know, you can come back and let me know what your decision is tomorrow. If you want to continue with the team or if you, you want to decide to hang it up. And I kind of put it in their court and let them decide. But I'm up front with them. Now, I've had players choose not to participate, and I've had players choose to be that 11th and 12th man. And I tell them, it doesn't mean that your role will never change, but a lot of times that 11th and 12th guy are lacking in skill, they're lacking in athleticism, but they're a great teammate. And we need to make sure that they understand being a great teammate is your role on this team. And most of the time, the kids respond well to that, and they understand that these are my limitations. If it's a player that I ever felt did not understand that, and was not going to be a good team player, I wouldn't keep them. But the kids who have great attitudes, I like to have in the program, and I like to make, especially if they've put time into the program. Uh, and I've had very good success with those players being a positive part. I've heard coaches say, I'll never keep a senior who won't play. And that has not been my experience, mainly because I think we set the tone up front. And I asked them, go home and talk to your parents see what they think so that they know ahead of time. And we're not going to be talking two, three, four weeks having a parent meeting about it because this was the understanding when we 
when you decided to stay with the team. I think that's important. So seniors can be a little bit tricky sometimes, but if you've got a great attitude, there's somebody who really wants to just be on the team and be a, a supporter of what's going on that's going on in the games and in the team, then they, they're great to have around, and I haven't had really any problems with them. I think if I wouldn't have that conversation, there are probably a lot more meetings I would have with parents and things like that. Um, so we kind of head that off a little bit. So knowing how to, to do it, to talk to your seniors. Now, I've already alluded to the fact that I do it in person. I don't like posting a list. That's really up to you. If you had 30 or 40 kids more than what you could keep, a list may be appropriate. Maybe it's just a time crunch. You can't meet with everybody. But if you've got 20 kids coming out and you're going to keep 12, that means you're going to cut eight. Uh, I think it's appropriate. That's what they're going to realize in the real world. They're going to have to learn those communication skills. They're going to have to learn that this is, you know, how you behave, this is how you handle yourself, and these are the reasons why I'm thinking this and why I made the decision that I did. Because if, if you just post a list, they don't know. Is there something I could work on for next year if I come back, or is there something that I did or I said? So I like being able to talk to them, look them in the eye, even though it's a hard conversation to have. I think ultimately that helps them grow as a person, and it helps our program stay just reputable, and those kids stay involved and, and support their teammates and things because they have an understanding of what just took place. So coaches, I hope that that kind of gives you a good idea of what you need in your tryouts, how to get the most out of tryouts, uh, what the things that you should be looking for, and then ultimately how you make those decisions into who to keep and who not to keep. Thanks for listening to today's episode, Coach. If you'd like more great coaching content, I encourage you to check out the coaching lab at coachmattdennis.com. You'll find everything you need to have more success in less time. Coach, if you've enjoyed the Coaching Lab podcast, I encourage you to go give us a five-star rating and even leave us a review. I'd greatly appreciate it.